Matthew chapter 1, verse 17 and following. This morning I want to speak on the subject of Jesus, the gift of Christmas. Jesus, the gift of Christmas. I know many of you are probably headed from here to, to be with family and friends and perhaps neighbors and in-laws and maybe even a few outlaws. I hope by the end of the day you'll be able to say that you got everything you were hoping for this Christmas. I hope this morning has already been a great time of celebrating friends and family, surprises, gifts. But I also hope that, that we'll not let a Christmas pass by without remembering that the gift of Christmas really does not come in any package under a tree, but it came from the Son of God hanging on the tree. From a baby, miraculously conceived, who would give his life for you and for me. The gift of Christmas is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, verse 21. Of course, some try to avoid the gift of Jesus, not because the facts don't add up, but because receiving the gift of Jesus requires that we understand the purpose for which the gift was sent. He was given to save us from our sins. And when some of you hear that, it's like hearing of the guy who bought his wife a treadmill for Christmas. You just don't do that, right? Because there's a message implied in the gift that's, that's hard, a bitter pill to swallow. It's difficult to hear. And it's hard to hear about Christmas and the coming of Jesus at Christmas if you've not yet received him and understand the joy and the release of having your sins forgiven because you have to swallow the bitter pill that there is something between you and God. It's called sin. We, we don't like this. We know this. There's even a scholar at a formerly Baptist university back in 2015 who was quoted in this way in the New York Times. Human understanding of what is sinful has changed over time. Well, I submit to you, human understanding of what is sinful has changed over time. We changed the definition of sin to, to meet our whims. In fact, Philippians tells us that our culture and our society changes what should be our shame into what we glory in and what we should glory in we, is our shame. We glory in the things that are shameful. And while our understanding of what is sinful may have changed, God's understanding hasn't changed. Sin is not just a mistake or a hiccup or a foible. It is a twisting and a marring of the inner man that comes through our active rebellion against the holy God. And it results, listen to this, in an eternal separation from God's blessings and his favorable presence in our lives. James puts it this way in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, sin brings forth Death. The wages of sin is death, not just death of our physical bodies, the death like Adam and Eve, separation from the favorable presence of God when sin ensued. This is why Matthew concludes his long genealogy, which covers verses 1 through 16, with verse 17. So all the generations of Abraham, from Abraham to David are 14. From David to the deportation to Babylon are 14. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah are 14 
generations. Why would Matthew make this theological point? What he's showing us is that King David was the pinnacle of Israelite history. One king over a united kingdom with a temple where they could enjoy the presence of God, and it went downhill from there. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, the numeric value for the name David, DVD, in, in Hebrew is 14. He's the 14th name listed in the genealogy. And there are 14 generations between each of these plot moves. And Matthew wants us to know that because 14 is 7 twice. It's not just God's perfection, it's double God's perfection. And we're looking back to this King David and looking ahead to a king who would be greater than David. And guess what Jesus is? Follow me here. 14 is 7 twice. We see 14 mentioned three times. That is Three fourteens or six sevens, which makes Jesus the seventh seven. What does that mean? What are you saying, Daniel? I'm saying that Matthew is intentional in showing us that Jesus is the king greater than David and that he is the king that ends the reason to count up and add the genealogy because he's not just a seven, he's the seven time the seven. He is the one who leads us out of Babylon, which is symbolic for exile from the favorable presence of God. The Israelites had been cast out of their homeland. They had been dragged over to Babylon. They had been They had to leave the temple in the presence of God. And when they did that, there was a longing within the faithful Israelite people for the Messiah to come because he would be the only way to bring them out of the exile, of the death, of the separation from the presence of God. And when Jesus comes, the seventh seven has come. We stop counting generations because our Savior has come, the only one who can bring us out of the deadness of our sin. This morning, there are some of you who are here because you're supposed to be here. It's what you do at Christmas. You didn't want to disappoint your family. Your girlfriend's a believer, and so you came with her. Your boyfriend's a believer, and so you came with him. But I'm convinced there are some here this morning who feel very desperately what St. Augustine called the God-shaped hole in the heart of every man. Jesus is the only one who can fill the void of your life that's been created by the deadness of sin. And perhaps this morning you know full well what I'm talking about. Perhaps you're on the edge of surrendering your life to this king, but you're just not so sure that Jesus is the one who can really fill the hole. You're not sure yet that Jesus is the one who can save you from your sins. Perhaps it's like the gift that I'm sure I'll receive when I go to my father's house later tonight. My my dad loves pens. Does anybody here like pens? I I like pens, but I'm not... I don't have to have the newest, latest, greatest, most awesome fountain pen or 75 colors on the top. A good old North Roanoke ballpoint pen is good enough for me. But my father, I think he wants me to have his love for pens, and I I just don't get it. And yet every Christmas, won't he? Every Christmas, he brings out this package, and you know what it is before you open it, and he's got this giddy smile on his face, and it's just a bunch of pens that go in a drawer and don't get used because I got a North Roanoke ballpoint. It's good. It works. And maybe... Maybe Jesus, for some of you, is like ballpoint pens are for me at Christmas. What's the point? 
How will these pens improve my life? How can this Jesus really save me? Is Jesus really the one I've been missing? And I submit to you, he is. Jesus can save you from your sins for three reasons that we find in this text. He comes in poverty, he comes in power and purity, and he comes personally. You see, all other saviors are dead. They're dead men, dead women, dead ideas, showing us how to earn life everlasting in our own power. But Jesus is God. He is from everlasting, coming down to us to deliver us out of the deadness of our sins. The way we get everlasting life is not clawing our way to it. God brings it down for us. Jesus is God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. As C.S. Lewis writes, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. Think about that. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than the entire world. When we say that Jesus comes in poverty, we are speaking from heaven's perspective. God's not poor. No, He is everything. But He intentionally makes Himself poor by taking up our humanity so that He can rescue human beings. The Son of God rescues us by becoming like us, allowing Himself to be, look at verse 16, born of Mary. This is fascinating. You get to verse 16 you say, of course Jesus was born of Mary. I've heard this story a million times, but that's why you've got to go back and read it again. The entire genealogy, 39 times, Matthew says, someone was the father of someone. Someone was the father of someone. 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 And we come to verse 16 and we get to Joseph and you're looking for Matthew to say that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Eh, that's not what he says. Joseph was the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, passively. He intentionally changes the verb to say to us that something different is happening with the conception and birth of Jesus that has not happened down through the generations. And that is that the Holy Spirit of God conceived Jesus within Mary and that He is born of Mary, but Joseph is not His biological father, only His father by adoption. You see, Jesus is God the Son allowing Himself to be conceived in Mary. Very soon, the Creator of the universe will be placed in a cradle. Jesus is the only person in the history of the world who ever picked His parents. To understand the greatness of Jesus' salvation, we must consider the greatness of His descent. Let me say that again. To consider the greatness of Jesus' salvation, we must consider the greatness of His descent. This is what theologians call His condescension to us. This is why, incidentally, we must not simply sing the old songs that we know. This is why the Bible calls upon us to sing unto the Lord a new song. Because the writing and the consideration of a new song with new lyrics forces us to rethink afresh what God did when He came down for us. And yes, we sing the good old songs, but we learn new songs because together as a corporate body, we are forced into the practice of thinking afresh on how amazing it is that God emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. As David Platt writes, Jesus was born of a woman. So just like any other child... 
He came as a crying, cooing, bedwetting baby boy. It was a holy night, but it wasn't silent. After all, who ever heard of a child coming out of a womb and staying quiet? Jesus wasn't born with a glowing halo around his head and a smile on his face. He was born like us. He's like us physically, having a human body that grew tired at times, according to Matthew 8, 24. He's like us mentally. Luke tells us that he increased in wisdom. He was like us emotionally, being troubled of soul even at times, weeping, caring for others, smiling, laughing, eating with others. He was like us outwardly. In other words, when people saw Jesus, they said, there goes another guy. There goes a man. How do we know this? People even from Jesus' own hometown said this, how does this wisdom and these miracles, how do they come to him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? God grows for nine months in the darkness of Mary's tomb so that on the third day he could emerge victorious for all of mankind from the darkness of death's tomb. As we read in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of what's on the other side? This morning, if you're afraid to draw your last breath, Jesus came to free you from the slavery of having to live your life afraid of what is on the other side. He came in poverty that his death might count in your place. But he didn't just come in poverty. It wasn't enough for Jesus to come in poverty. He also had to come in power and in purity. Matthew wants us to be sure to know that Jesus is fully man, but he is not just another man. It was before, look at verse 18, it was before Mary and Joseph came together that she was found to be with child. And Joseph does not put Mary away secretly as he had originally thought he would do, but he listens to the angel's message, marries Mary, I love that, he married Mary, and then waits to consummate his marriage for nine months. He proceeds to get married and acts as a loving husband, but does not consummate his marriage for nine months. Why? Joseph understood, hear this, North Roanoke Baptist Church. Joseph understood that appearances sometimes matter. Even though we may have the freedom to do something, there are times that it's better that we don't do it so that the world can clearly see and wrestle with who Christ is. If you don't believe Christ was conceived of the Virgin Mary, then ask Joseph who married his wife and waited nine more months. Ask Joseph about those first nine months of his marriage. So what's the big deal about a virgin conception anyway? What's the big deal about a virgin mother, which in any other case would be an oxymoron? Well, first it fulfills prophecy. Isaiah 7.14 is quoted in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew wants us to know that when God makes a promise in His Word, He fulfills it in the world. But the second reason we must affirm the virgin conception of Jesus is because our salvation depends on it. Let me say that again. Jesus can't rescue you if He was not conceived of a virgin. The miracle of your salvation requires the miracle of the virgin birth. 
Don't say, Jesus saved me, and then try to explain away the virgin birth. The miracle of God's salvation requires the miracle of the virgin birth. He could not, Jesus could not be just another sacrifice. He had to be God's perfect, spotless Passover lamb, unstained by the sinfulness of man through which he came. And the spotless righteousness of Jesus is ensured not only by Joseph's noble patience. In other words, he waited so that everyone could see, look, Jesus came miraculously into the world. It is also secured by the way in which the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary. You see, Jesus is not sinless because of Mary. As the Roman Catholic Church teaches us, Mary was a sinner just like you and me. Yes, she was favored in God's sight, but she was victim and prone to sin. Jesus is not sinless because of Mary. He is sinless. He is born with sin because the Holy Spirit powerfully interrupts the cycle of sin's transmission through Adam, Romans chapter 5, by conceiving Christ in Mary. This is why we read in verse 18, Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is what is happening. The creator of the universe, God the Son, allows himself to become a single cell, an embryo, that he might be born without sin or guilt. Because Jesus came in the purity and the power of a new creation at the virgin birth, He is the perfect payment for our sin. He can offer Himself as an acceptable sacrifice in our place. You aren't sure about about the gift of Jesus being the gift of Christmas? Consider His humility. He left heaven for you. Consider the power and the purity in which he was born. He is qualified to be the payment for your sin. But Jesus offers us more than just payment for our sins. He offers us God's presence in our daily lives. You see, Jesus is not just for you. He is God with you. He is payment for sin unto salvation, but he is also the person of salvation. He is God extending himself to you in order to have right relationship with you that you can daily enjoy. The reality of God's presence through Jesus is communicated by the name Emmanuel. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God With us. David Platt writes Matthew teaches us that although God is transcendent over us, He is present with us. Listen to this that is, in His glory, God is far above us, but in His grace, He is near to us. Verse 23 raises a key question. Did you read verse 23? The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's the question. Who are the they? Is Jesus just another convenient reason to throw a party every December and have some gifts under a tree? Is Jesus just a good teacher? Is Jesus just a figment of some disciple's imagination 
somehow miraculously invented and put together in a way that is indescribably perfect, that somehow you excuse and explain away. Is Jesus something other than Emmanuel to you? Or are you among the they who know Jesus as God with us? Are you among those this morning who know the joy of the nearness of God? Are you among those this morning who know what it is to behold Christ in the preaching and the studying of His Word? Beholding Him in the singing of songs about what Christ has done and in hearing His still small voice even in the trials and the tribulations and the challenges and the frustrations of life. If that's not you this morning... Jesus is the gift of Christmas. Jesus is God with us. John sa- Jesus says in John 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Are you in the Savior's hand this morning? Do you hear the Savior's voice? Do you know Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? You see, this is the promise of Jesus to those who turn from their sin and receive Him. No more trying to do the impossible on your own. No more waiting on Moses to go out to the tabernacle to meet with God and come back and tell you it's okay. No more waiting for a physical temple to be built. No more wandering in the wilderness and exile of sin. No more sitting over in Babylon wondering if God will ever bring you out of exile. He has sent Jesus, Emmanuel, for you. Jesus is born in Bethlehem so sinners can be born again to a right relationship with God. And the miracle of conversion is likened to that of the miracle of Jesus' birth because the Holy Spirit begins to confirm for you through the preaching of the gospel that Jesus is real, that he died for you, that he was risen for you, that he's ascended on high for you, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And there comes a moment when conviction gives birth to desperation, and we look unto Jesus and see who he truly is, and the Holy Spirit, by his grace regenerates the heart and makes us new and it is as though we are born again to a right relationship with God this is possible the virgin who is has Jesus conceived in her by the Holy Spirit that Holy Spirit is still operative today we discover the lives we were made for when in true humility we give our lives to Christ who came down for us and the Holy Spirit comes near to us gives us a new heart Enabling us, equipping us to get rid of the God-shaped hole in the heart of every man and to walk and to follow faithfully in the footsteps of our Savior. C.S. Lewis famously wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of the characters in that story says, Always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. How awful. Some of you this morning are going through the Christmas routine, but it's still winter in your soul. Because the Christmas routine will not save you. Only Jesus can. So from my heart to yours, I urge you, Don't let another Christmas go by without receiving Jesus. Salvation from your sins, 
God, for you and with you. Jesus truly is the gift of Christmas. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, what a privilege to be gathered together as the people of God. Not through any merit, not through any deserving, not through anything we have done other than God. You have brought us to the place of recognizing our, our dependence upon you. All we have to contribute to this relationship is our need for you, our desperate need for you. And God, that's okay. You, you delight when people recognize how much we need you. So God, I, I've endeavored this morning to preach to needy people. And I'm convinced, God, there would be no greater joy in heaven or in this building this morning than that one sinner or perhaps two or three or ten sinners would repent and find the joy of knowing Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit, please work in this place for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.